Welcome to our kind of pod, a special UW football-themed episode of the Boy Meets World podcast. Today, Stanton and I discussed the state of the program heading into a crucial contest this Saturday night against Utah. Four downs, one big question, previewing Utah, Pac-12 talk, college football scene, OKG, and great cat of the week. As always, let's go! Alright, we are live on our kind of pod, a special edition of the Boyd Meets World podcast, talking UW football. I'm here, as always, with the incomparable Michael Stanton. Stanton, how are you? Doing great. Back for another week. Uh, Utah, UW coming up this weekend. Should be a good one. Absolute slog last week against North Dakota. Is that, that fair? A painful experience to, to sit through all that? Uh, Yeah, I mean, there were... I, there were some positives for sure. I mean, you're talking like what the sixth most total yards of any game in Utah football history. So um, that is for the Huskies. So I mean, it wasn't all bad. Yeah, it was, it was still a 45-3 win. I always felt that those games, the North Dakotas, the like, you know, you're obviously going to win those games. It's just kind of how. Uh, were always an opportunity, at least in, in my college days, to kind of pin the ears back and really, really add a couple extra tailgate beverages uh, to the process because um, you know the stakes were a little bit lower. Did you mm-hmm. uh, did you appreciate that or feel that yesterday or on Saturday? Um, I don't think any more than normal, but uh, we did have a a hefty uh, amount of IPA and uh, a little champagne to get things going as well. There so we go. it was a good time. Did the champagne unlock the uh, unlock the IPA, or was it? It, it did. All, it did. Yeah, there we go. We were there at ten thirty in the morning, so you know had to start off with some class and move into more uh, midday drinks like a beer. There we go. Uh, just all class for Michael Stanton. All class. Uh, exactly. I know that not to be true, but the listeners, uh, as far as you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's the kind of guy he is. Um, Correct. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little bit farther from E1 uh, these days out here in Boston doing the podcast, so we, we might have to start a segment as these night games get fired up of like how I mm-hmm. watch the game because you know I have I have somewhat of a life out here, and so sometimes a, a party or a, a social engagement will interfere with um, the the start of a game, and so I might be watching it from a train on my phone or like in the bathroom at a at a at an event or something like that. Um, so the 10 o'clock start this week for me against Utah should be fun, but, uh, I've, I've had some, my fair share of, uh, unfortunate experiences of having to watch the game and being the only person within like a thousand mile radius who cares about what I'm watching. I, I think you just need to decline those, those things. Like for instance, uh, in a few, oh, this weekend actually, uh, Going to a wedding reception, but cutting that short about an hour and a half in so I can uh, get back in front of a TV to watch the game. Yeah. You know, got to make some sacrifices. Got to also talk to whoever is getting married about their choice of getting married in the fall. It's like, did they not mm. think that this was going to happen or, you know? Uh, they, they got married this summer, but then the reception, it was a destination wedding. So reception is now this weekend here. Okay. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, come on. Yeah. Utah football. That's taken priority. My brother got married uh, in during the Oregon game in like 2010. So a game that we were definitely Man. not going to win. Um, but still, uh, it's an Oregon game. It was a little insulting, to, especially putting me in the in the wedding party during that. I uh, <laughs> I had, 
I don't know, Jeff. Uh, I know you. I know you're listening, but still haven't really gotten over that eight years later. Um, anyways, to uh, to this week's game, UW fresh off of a 45-3 victory over North Dakota, covered the plus 40 spread. Gotta love that. Uh, we play Utah this week at 7 p.m. Pacific time for all you folks on that side of the country. 10 p.m. for me. UW is a five and a half point favorite in the game. I was a bit surprised by that number, given the, the way that Utah has played us the last couple years um, and the strength of that team in a very hostile environment at Rice Eccles Stadium. Did that line come as a surprise to you, or are you uh, are you on board with with five and a half, six points as it's come out? No, I I'm okay with that. Um, they they didn't look. Are you saying that you think it should have been closer? I honestly, when I looked at it, expected it to be plus two plus three in favor of uh, in favor of UW um, so UW is a three point favorite in Utah so mm. when I saw it closer to a touchdown that was uh, that was a bit surprising for me I mean I think this is pretty pretty fair um, they did struggle struggle against Northern Illinois last week uh, only beating them 17 to six um, then they beat Weaver State the week before so they haven't really proven anything mm-hmm. yet so it's kind of hard to to pick this or to set a line on this one, but I think the line's fair. Yeah, uh, it, it's. Uh, I think both both coaches after their their games this week were uh, a little a little reserved. Utah coming off of a 17-6 win uh, at Northern Illinois, as you mentioned, uh, and as we talked about in the group text, you don't just walk into DeKalb, Illinois, in front of fourteen thousand fans and sneak out a win. You know, you get, you really got to 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 grind one out um, as Utah did in that game. Um, Especially against a team named the Huskies. That's true. That's true. They are they are extremely familiar with playing the Huskies. Um, we are not <laughs> familiar with playing the Utes this season. Um, mm-hmm. Only one chance at that. Let's uh, let's get into our four downs, and you're going to lead us off talking about apparently the hot topic out in Seattle. I'm not connected to the to the uh, to the radio scene out there, but uh, apparently the pitchforks are out still uh, for Mr. Jake Browning, fresh off of two picks in uh, in that Portland State game. Um, can you can you just kind of calm the fire a little bit? Yeah, that was uh, definitely the topic of conversation at the uh, tailgate post game. Uh, Jake Browning not looking like his normal self against a a very inferior opponent in North Dakota, um, a team that's only played FBS school ten times in their program history. So um, you would have liked to see a bit more from him. He seemed he did. I mean. He did have a decent day from a numbers perspective, uh, 313 yards. So that's, you know, a good chunk of change right there, two touchdowns. Um, and he only played about eh, three quarters. So you could give him another 50 yards on top of that if he played a full game as a conservative estimate. Um, I think the biggest talking point here are some of the decision make decisions he made, as well as uh, both the interceptions he threw, which were, um, I think, sort of lazy throws in mm-hmm. some cases. Um, to his credit, he did admit that uh, after the game that he wasn't really happy with how he played. He was quoted saying, I think we have a standard to play to, and I don't think we played to it, and I don't think I played to it. Um, yeah, it's been a weird start of the season for Jake. He's posted the 23rd and 24th ranked passer efficiency games out of his 41 game career. So it's been pretty average, something you wouldn't expect necessarily for a guy starting his senior season after being this being his fourth year uh, at the helm at quarterback. Um, but I, I I still feel confident in his ability to uh, to especially when the defense or when the offensive playbook is opened up a bit more and 
hopefully this game here coming up, um, I think I think we'll see a little bit of a rebound hopefully this weekend. It's a tough defense to go against in Utah, but I I just can't see Jake continuing this trend of underwhelming performances. Um, mm-hmm. But to, to that point, there was people legitimately calling for Jake Hayner to be the starter this coming week, given his 10 for 10 for or 7 for 7 for 110 yard and touchdown performance in the fourth quarter um, of this past weekend. And I thought that is absolutely ridiculous. So um, I just want to want to kind of squash that whole idea and just know that Jake Browning is our starter and he will be for the rest of the season, barring any in- injury. Yeah, well said. Uh, the the Hayner stuff it's 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 its own conversation. It's nice to see Hayner come in and be competent and light stuff on fire because that's what you would hope would happen in the event that Jake Browning, the actual starting quarterback, uh, went down with an injury, is that Hayner could come in and, and be serviceable. Um, but you know, going going whatever he did against a North Dakota team that was ready to get back on that bust and go back uh, go back home at that point in the game. Uh, is is nothing to to really point at and and so that can quickly die especially on this podcast talk radio that would be two hours worth of talk for us but uh, we will <laughs> shove that aside I don't I kind of battle of week to week it's like am I a Jake Browning apologist and will I just you know go to bat for this guy no matter what like he could throw five picks against Utah and I'll still tell you that he's good on the following week or am I just being rational and objective and knowing about you know, you and I know better of the last 15 years of quarterbacks, really not including Jake Locker at his best was just miserable quarterback play from the Huskies. And so to, to get this, um, you know, to get this is, is really important and to, to have this stability. And once you get to this level, it comes with all this criticism and all this nitpicking and things like that. Um, and so I think that's kind of part of it. And I might be a, a Browning apologist at the same time. Uh, but I do think that qualitatively he's making throws this year or, or attempting throws this year that I don't think uh, he would regularly attempt last year. A lot more deep sideline routes, a lot more deep, uh, deep patterns in general. I think that he's just more confident and that leads to some of the decision making that we've seen. Uh, the three picks, I think, you know, two of those you can blame on just kind of hubris, laziness, like you said. Um, and then two of the turnovers have been vouched for already by Bush Hamden, obviously the, the option play against Auburn, and then another play, or one of the interceptions last week, uh, where, where you know, Bush Hamden came out and said, you know, that's, that's a play call that we would have liked to have back. So I think after two games, I'm allowed to be this, this type of apologist, but I do think that this Utah game uh, is an incredible test against a, a, a defense in a hostile environment. Um, they could really... You know, sink or swim. A lot of people's opinions about Jake Browning. I think we are on the same page completely. But uh, you make a very good point. And this weekend is a show me game for Jake Browning. Um, if he comes out, granted, I mean, this is an outstanding defense. They lead the country in, in defensive efficiency at the moment. But if he comes out and continues his struggles, um, even against this vaunted defense, I think there's going to be a lot more people in the crowd. Uh, that are not too fond of of number uh, number three, but uh, I don't know. I I still like like I said previously. I still feel confident in this guy's abilities. A lot of people are pretty short, have short term memory, mm-hmm. um, but you got to remember how he has gotten us to this point. So um, I know he's capable, and I think he can turn around for sure. Yeah. There we go. Uh, moving on to second down. I'm sure that Jake Browning will be 
maybe even first down next week, uh, based off of things, for better or for worse, uh, for Jake. <laughs> yeah. But second down, we're going to talk about the run game. And as soon as this kind of came up of, of, like, how does the dust settle after the game? And it's like, well, the run game looked lethargic. It was it was impossible to, to kind of move yards. Um uh, you know, against a, a very a team that that you should be able to to bully a little bit to to stack up some rushing yards, and I kind of thought back to some different at this juncture in the season, the last few seasons, and I was like, man, I feel like that's been the narrative in non-conference play every year for a while. Turns yes. out, turns out, I was uh, exactly right through that. So uh, on Saturday, the Huskies put up 79 yards through three quarters. Ended up with a buck 74, which is pretty good. But a lot of that came from, uh, you know, Kamari Pleasant, Sean McGrew, guys that aren't really what you would consider your regular run game pieces. So a couple things from Chris Peterson's press conference that were illuminating towards this on on two, on Monday or Tuesday that he talked. He said, first of all. Uh, you would probably like to play all your non-conference games first. I think if UW had their choice, they would be playing BYU this week and not Utah so they could kind of get another week to, to get ramped up. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Second thing, Peterson made a really good point that based off of the rules in the NCAA about how much uh, full contact practice you can have is that you can't practice the run game in the offseason uh, when there's these limited contact rules. You can't go full bore where you have linemen blocking linemen uh, and, and you know, tackling running backs and, and you know, the, the full 11-on-11 full tackle. But you can, you can throw whenever. You can run 7-on-7. Seven seven, you can do all that stuff, you know, whenever you want to. The quarterbacks and receivers can get together um, and, and throw on an empty field and work on routes and things like that. But the run game is inherently... Uh, a little bit behind that, which is a really interesting point and makes a lot of sense. So that's kind of the you know the the explanation of that from Peterson. What do the numbers say? 2015, which is Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin's first year as starters, uh, they start the season. They go 13 carries for 19 yards at Boise State, which is just horrible. Uh, oh in, man! Yeah, in non-conference play, they put up 4.34 yards per carry that year. The next game against Cal, the first conference game of the year after three non-conference games, they go 15 for a buck 25, 8.3 yards per carry. Next game, they go to USC, go 4.5 yards per carry. So the, the, once you get in conference, the uptick starts. Okay, so that's 2015. Sure. 2016, okay. uh, they, they go 25 for 91 in the opener against Rutgers, uh, 5.1 yards per carry in non-conference. So better, but not great. Uh, then they go to Arizona, where they put up 38 for three, 319 yards uh, against Arizona for an average of 8.4 yards per carry. So they explode on the road it, to start conference play. Two years, mm-hmm. two years is one thing. How about three years? Last year they go 4.7 yards per carry in non-conference. Then they go to Colorado and go 34 carries for 234 yards, 6.88 yards per carry. So what we've seen is this kind of just drastic, like extremely big, you know, just explosion of, of, uh, of efficiency in the, on the ground once conference play starts. And that's been the fourth game of the season every year. This game against Utah uh, will not be the fourth game. It'll be the third game. Uh, but even that being said, the, the yards per carry in non-conference this season uh, was higher than it has been in any of the last three seasons. So the, the running game is actually ahead of, uh, of where it was the last couple of years if you just go by yards per carry for running backs. So that was long-winded for me, but I think it, it kind of put some numbers to the theory in my head that 
every year we talk about this of the running game struggles and then every year we get our answers or our questions answered pretty quickly in conference play and i and i think i think the area of concern here isn't necessarily on the running backs but it's on the offensive line mm-hmm. um given the fact that trey adams is out um nick harris was out this past week although um it's rumored that he was just in concussion protocol so i think we will probably see him back this week hopefully um but yeah like you mentioned uh gaskin in the running game has usually been slow starters i mean gaskin has only had one non-conference game where he's gone over 100 yards and that was when he was a freshman versus sacramento state um so i think it's it's tough that your first non-conference game um you you mentioned how the first conference game i should say of each season has been like a coming out party for the rushing attack. It's, it's tough that you have to go up against Utah in this case, because they are so good. Their front seven is so good. Um, but I think if you don't see it this week, you'll definitely see it against BYU. I just, I, I can't fathom us not getting that going because at the end of the day, that is what, uh, what our offense relies on. And that is our best weapon in miles Gaskin. Um, to complement that point though, I think, you need to touch on Savan Ahmed. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about in previous podcasts how we wanted to see him get more touches. Um, he did in week two. He had 10 touches compared to seven versus Auburn. Um, four carries for 44 yards, five receptions for 39 yards, and a 31-yard kickoff return. Um, he's averaging 7.3 yards per carry so far. So um, you can see that although some assistance comes in the fact that he's a, he's a change of pace, so maybe implementing him a bit more might not be as much of a of a weapon in that regard. I think you still need to rely on him a bit more um, and get him the ball in space just because he's such an athlete, like we've mentioned so many times on this mm-hmm. podcast previously. But um, I think in general, I'm not concerned about this rushing attack. I think once the offensive line um, begins to gel a bit more, um, I think we'll see dividends paid off. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it's either it's either this game or against U- or BYU. So one of the Utah schools, you will see uh, the explosion happen. Um, I hope it's it's this next weekend, but uh, definitely some home cook in the following week. You would expect to see that. Yeah, the Ahmed stuff is interesting because I think uh, it, this is one of those rare times when uh, the fan base seems to be right about a schematic uh you know fix for a team i think that Mm -hmm. a lot of the times you know fan bases have an idea of you know why don't they throw to this guy more things like that um this case of it just seems to be common knowledge of just like miles gaskin and savon ahmed might be two of your best players two of the best players in the conference and they're just not on the field at the same time enough because of the deception that having those two guys on the field would create and, and the, the panic that it would induce in a defense. Still haven't really seen that. I didn't do a snap count this game um, but uh, against North Dakota, but it's, it still feels like it just haven't seen that dynamic enough. Maybe we haven't seen that by design because they're all gearing up for this game, um, but uh, it is interesting and something to keep tabs on. Yeah, so just to compare, I said 10 touches for Ahmed. It looks like uh, Gaskin had 16 touches. So that's actually kind of where you'd want it to be um, mm-hmm. from a split standpoint. So maybe I don't have much of a point here. But uh, once you see them playing throughout the entire four quarters of a game, I'm sure we're going to see Ahmed get a few more, maybe up in that 13-14 region, um, which would, I think would be perfect. Yeah, him. and I would even do, trade. Do you... Go ahead. 
Uh, I was just going to say, do you think the fact that we don't have a power back like a LeVon Coleman is hurting us in this case? It's interesting. I mean, even watching the, the Utah game last year, Coleman was a guy that brought a, a different dimension. Um, but just because you could kind of line him up conventionally and have him just go power, um, and that's mm-hmm. not really Ahmed's game at mm-hmm. this point. And so you kind of have to, they're, they're almost a little too similar, Gaskin and, and Ahmed. However, exactly. I think that you have to get a little more creative of like, yes, you might lose those power sets, but you gain so much in just the ability to have Ahmed come across the field in a jet sweep action, whether he gets the ball or not. Um, that That is a valuable uh, asset to the defense, just like having Coleman in there tells the defense that sure. you, know, you got to bunch in a little bit. So uh, something to keep tabs on, and I will I will be giddy uh, the first time that I see Savon and, and Miles Gaskin in the backfield at the same time next yes. w- or this Saturday. To third down we go. You're going to play a little a little Doctor Stanton for us. Give us some some injury updates. Some uh, yeah, some, you know who's who's checked in. Some of the freshmen that have played and haven't played. All that good stuff. Correct. This is continuing the uh, theme of the podcast. Well, one of the themes, which is uh, bringing a value add to the table for our listeners. So uh, we're going to jump right into it. So uh, injuries of note this week. Uh, Nick Harris, like I mentioned, was not suited. Uh, Speculation was he is in concussion protocol. Hopefully he'll be back this week um, because uh, I I forget who started at center in his place. Jesse Boomer. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah, it would be nothing on Jesse, but uh, Harris is our guy. He's experienced in there, so we'd like to see him back there. Um, one that came out of nowhere that I wasn't expecting was DJ Beavers, who was in a walking boot this weekend and didn't suit up, obviously. Um, no no way to know what the severity of that is. Um, Peterson has mentioned it's week to week, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, but, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, Bartlett was inside and uh, with member Kervin. So I think who does that get outside? Um, well, that puts Potoai on the field a lot. And then yeah. you're kind of figuring out between Miles Rice, Amandre Williams. Uh, yeah, it was Williams who got who got more time, I think. Yep. Because Ariel, Ariel Nada, the freshman, got on the yeah, field a little bit more. Yeah, he's looked outstanding as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll be interested to see how that one plays out. But but like I said, it's really hard to tell in this day and age of injuries and coaches not disclosing that information. So we shall see what happens. Um, next was Joel Whitford, uh, wasn't suited. Uh, Hunter, this is an undisclosed injury, but Peterson did mention after the Auburn game that this was a nagging injury since uh, fall camp, as you may know, that he came out of that Auburn game after, I think, the first punt that mm-hmm. he attempted. So uh, that's one to watch. And then lastly, on a more uplifting note, Hunter Bryant was on the su- Bryant was on the sideline, uh, wasn't wearing a brace, no noticeable noticeable limp. So it uh, leads you to speculate: could he be back sooner than we anticipated? So maybe sometime in the next two to three weeks. Who knows? But that's always a good sign. So those are the injuries that were uh, noteworthy this week. Um, red shirts. Uh, this was interesting because if you aren't playing against a team like North Dakota, um, if you're not even suited for a t- against a team like North Dakota and you're a true freshman, that's a good indicator that you're probably not going to be playing this year, even with the new uh, redshirting rules that allows you to play in any four games. So those players of note were Kyler Gordon, Julian, Julius Irvin, and Dominic Hampton, all defensive backs. Um, I thought we would see Gordon and Irvin uh, get some time this season just because they were so highly touted out of high school. But uh, I guess that's a good situation to be in. Um, I know 
we all know that the secondary is one of our strong suits, so it is nice to be able to redshirt talents like these guys. Um, and then for those true freshmen that did uh, play this weekend, we saw debuts for defensive lineman Tuli Latuli Gasanoa. Which, Phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> wow. I've been working on it. But uh, I think I think we'll be seeing a lot of this guy this year. He uh, brings a lot of beef to the interior of the defensive line, so he'll be a nice rotational player. Um, we also saw linebackers MJ Tafisi, Zion Tupuola Fatui, and Jackson Sermon also make their debuts. So that's exciting for those guys. So yeah, overall, those are the injuries, red shirts, and PT for the true frosh. I, that was just a walk-off segment for you. You just you bodied that entire segment. Not a single pronunciation glitch. Shall you add? <laughs> well done, my friend, Doctor Stanton on the beat, uh, keeping track of, of who's who's in and who's out uh, from from a lot of different perspectives. So thank you for that. Fourth down. This will be uh, this will be quick. This will be heartfelt. Um, but I would like to become a father um, for. Uh, four special young men in my life. Uh, these young men are Quentin Pounds, <laughs> Ty Jones, Aaron Fuller, and Andre Bacellia. Um, I I'm in just I love this receiver group. I have never loved a receiver group this much uh, in my life. Maybe since the I don't even really remember if Reggie Williams, Paul Arnold, and uh, Charles Frederick. Charles Frederick intersected at the same time. I think they did. Um, I know at least two of those guys did. I just can't tell you who the second one was. Right. But yeah. That was. They were in there. Exactly. I think uh, it was Frederick. I think so too. I think I think Frederick and Reggie all. were definitely on the same teams. Um, I don't know if Paul Arnold got in on that action, but regardless, um, I've just been blown away, especially given from where we were, you know, just three weeks ago, talking about you know will these receivers step up and just how great they have looked. Um, just quantitatively, you know, Quentin Pounds, fifth in yards per catch in the NCAA, granted across four catches, oh, wow. um, but still uh, impressive that he's been able to do that, given that he <laughs> has had both knees operated on within the last two years. Um, he's been great making catches downfield. Ty Jones looks like freaking Brandon Marshall out there. Uh, he's a phenomenal yeah. dancer, as the Pac-12 Network broadcast uh, showed oh, cool. us. Yeah, great yep. uh, great salsa from, from Ty. A little Victor Cruz action. Perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's a couple of former Giants being talked about here. Aaron Fuller has looked like a like a Dante Pettis Jr. Like he kind of like followed Dante Pettis around for a couple years and just kind of adopted everything that he did, which is a great thing. Um, didn't Haven't seen the touchdown celebration from him. Maybe he's got something animal-themed, a la Dante. Uh, and then Andrea yeah. Pacellia, who has become our little Italian Wes Walker or Wes Walker, <laughs> Jesus, uh, who's, uh, he's our new gadget guy. He throws the reverse passes. He's always open. Rewatched the Utah game last year. He had a couple big catches down the stretch. Um, so I love them. I love all four of them so much. And I looked up, uh, right before this podcast, I Googled, can you adopt an adult? And I want to read you, this is from, straight from LegalZoom.com. So this is real advice. Um, Bulletproof information. Exactly. <laughs> Here we go. Regardless of what you think, it is both legal and possible to adopt yourself a healthy, bouncing grown-up. In many cases, <laughs> your new adult family member must simply be a legal adult and voluntarily agree to the adoption. So Outstanding. I All I need is a, a yes or no. Um, from these four guys, if they, if I want to adopt them, 
um, as as my own sons. They have been phenomenal. I'll be reaching out individually to all of them um, or as a group adoption. I don't know if, if LegalZoom has any advice for that, uh, yeah. but but I, I am so proud of, of the progress that they've made um, and the, the future that they all have together. The only gripe with these guys is now we need a nickname. And yeah, because we had a we had what was it Legion of Zoom with back a few years with uh, Marvin Nickens. Hall and Jadon yeah. and John Ross. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to figure something out. Legion of Zoom was good. Um, yeah, so so we'll we'll get we'll get pumping on that, listeners. If you have any suggestions uh, for what we can call these guys, um, I, I have some, but uh, they're not they're not fully fledged. So I will uh, need to incubate on those. But uh, yeah, any thoughts that are probably less creepy than me wanting to adopt four guys? about the receiver group? Uh, no, I just think, I, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I think the best part about this is it, none of us were expecting it, yet they've been arguably the, well, they have been the best unit on offense, that's for sure. Um, you mentioned that Browning has been throwing, some of the balls he's been putting up have been um, at a different class than what he has thrown in the past, and I think you have to also mention the fact that these guys are going up and actually catching those passes. Yes. Um, there's been some incredible catches, as we all know, by this receiving core. And uh, I th- I fully expect to see more of them as we go on. I mean, I'm, I'm expecting to see a one-handed touchdown catch in this upcoming game against Utah at this rate. Yeah, it's uh, it's we're 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 owed that now that uh, that Quentin mm-hmm. Pounds and Ty Jones have both delivered. So um, I'm sure Fuller and Bachelia will get theirs at some points. Um, but I just have been blown away by what those guys have done, and uh, am excited to see see them continue to carve up defenses throughout the year. Let's uh, let's move on to our one big question this week, and you know this is kind of a tough one coming off of 45-3. Uh, win against a team that you, you can't really gain anything out of. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, we're, we're about to hit the part of the season where there's no real uh, easy parts of it really at this point. It's all it's all tough games from here on out. So the question we came up with this week is, what do we know? What do we know for sure through two games about this team that can allow us to kind of, uh, you know, set some things in, staple it in our in our you know minds about what this team's all about heading into conference and uh, and and the rest of the season play for 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 the Huskies. What do we know about this team? I think first and foremost, it's the defense. Pretty much across the board, should be fine. Um, They might falter here or there, but for the most part, they're going to give you everything you could ask for and probably more from a defense. Um, There is some linebacker depth concern with Beavers being out, but um, crossing our fingers that he will not be out very long. Um, Defensive backs are looking good. D-line is also looking good, although you would like to see a little bit more presence in in the backfield for the defensive line. We've only registered four sacks as a team so far, and only one of them has been from a defensive lineman. Actually, the other three have been all from defensive backs. Hmm. So uh, you would like to see them get to the quarterback a bit more, but I think overall they're um, doing their job well and uh, limiting yardage by the opposition. Um, not to not to hammer this home, but wide receivers, I think we can say that this is almost a proven commodity at this point. It's actually a weapon for us on offense. And uh, Pounds, Jones, Fuller, they all complement each other really well. Pounds being the vertical threat, Jones being the red zone target, and Fuller being the possession move the change type. So uh, it's, a, it's almost a perfect combination in some respects. And then I think what we don't know is obviously we have – 
there is to talk about Jake Browning in the running game, but I'm not worried about that. Uh, what we don't know is the offensive line and how they're going to gel through these injuries that are plaguing them, plaguing them so far this season. Um, Luke Wattenberg has been a little bit hit or miss so far. Uh, you, I was expecting a bit better uh, play from him, um, but nothing, nothing saying that that can't be turned around. Um, so yeah, I think the offensive line just needs needs a little bit more work. But overall, I'm feeling pretty good about this team, and I think we uh, we should feel good about those three things or two two cr- groups that I mentioned: defense and wide receivers. Normally, you and I see very eye to eye, but I'm a little mm-hmm. a little worried that um, you didn't bring up the Italian Wes Walker, Andre Bocellia when uh, you're talking about the yeah. receivers. Um, it's okay. Uh, to be honest, though, he's he hasn't been a, as much of a focal point as those three guys. That definitely I not, definitely not. But he's kind of the you know the industrial strength glue, keeping them all together. But that's yes, yeah, he's neither, very capable. <laughs> neither here nor there. Andre has been has been great, kind of a, a move the chains guy. Working in the middle of the field um, relative to those other guys who are more down the field sideline threats. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. Linebackers have, have been a little sp- – not not spotty, but just not, uh, not huge playmakers yet. Um, and I think that that was kind of to be expected. I mean, Keyshawn Bieria last year was kind of the guy, obviously, as Ian Victor before the season, that really had a chance to blow things up. Haven't, see- haven't seen that. Haven't seen a linebacker get home on a blitz. Um, but they've been serviceable and definitely um, are, are in the right spots. It's just kind of you want them to go above and beyond and start making a little bit of plays. Uh, we know Savon Ahmed is special. We've talked a little bit about that. We have weapons on offense. The last thing I think I'll add here is that, especially on offense, our tempo seems to be our best bet. I, I feel, I mean, mm-hmm. you you and definitely. I and, and Hatcher were talking about this in a group text, of when we go tempo, I have a, a, a you know, maybe – 1.5 times more confidence that our offense is going to score on that drive than when we don't. And I, I get the sentiment from Peterson that when you go tempo and you fail, it gives the ball back too quickly to the, to the defense. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I just feel like it can be more than one or two times a game uh, that we see this. Um, and especially just kind of in between or in, in the, the middle of a drive, just for one, you know, stretch of three plays going tempo, just kind sure. of mix it up. Uh, I just feel like that's a weapon that has been more of, or is available to us uh, that that hasn't been used enough to to start this yeah. season. I I can't remember the last time when we went tempo and it actually didn't work. And that's going back like like till last season and like maybe the season before too. Yes. But uh, yeah, it's been a very effective uh, strategy for us as of late. And like you said, good good point in not doing it in in kind of protecting your protecting your defense a bit but i think yeah like in the middle of a drive you know you're on your third set of downs or something like that why not throw it in there for four three or four plays and just get it kind of the defense off balance a bit yep once you get the personal group you want in there just just go with it so we'll see if that comes out a little bit on saturday uh this is a game worth watching and worth uh really kind of analyzing so we're gonna do we're gonna unlock our uh special jimmies and joes and x's and o's segment to talk about the utah utes uh jimmies and joes x's and o's is kind of this phrase that gets used by uh by football people talking about uh which aspect of the game killed them was it the other team's athletes or was it the uh the schematics of that so we're gonna bring up both things uh talking about the jimmies um the Utah has kind of a funky team, uh, but definitely some good players that uh, have given UW trouble in the past. So, so who do you have down for for the Jimmies and Joes of Utah? 
Uh, well, I'm going to start on their defense, which is one of the best defenses uh, in the country, and it could be the second best defense we see all season after only Auburn. Um, right now, albeit against some pretty suspect opponents, they lead the nation in total defense and yards per play. Um, Chase Hansen is the, a guy to watch here, their linebacker. He had a uh, the clinching pick six against Northern Illinois this past weekend while also registering 12 tackles, two sacks, and recovering a fumble. So uh, he Wolf. won Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week, running away with it, I assume. Uh, so he's someone to watch on defense. Um, to be honest, I don't really know much about their defensive line, but knowing Utah and teams of the past, uh, I'm sure there's quite a bit of beef up there. Give you a name. Um, name on the D line is Bradley Anai, okay. uh, who used to be a, a you know wore, wore number 56, I think. Uh, switched okay. to number six last year. Or maybe this year, oh, but either either way, six on the D line. Anytime you have a single digit D line, they have to be good. That's just a rule. Mm-hmm. I have not seen any any uh, argument to the opposite. You uh, uh, had trouble with an eye last year. He came into to Seattle and had one and a half sacks in that game. Uh, definitely a guy who could play on Sundays. Bradley and I. Any anybody else on defense that you got noted there, or just kind of as a unit? They're, they're tough. Uh, they got some guys on the interior whose names escape me right now, but guys that my man Phil Steele has flagged as some of the best in the conference. So, sure. um, yeah, that, that D-line is, is is stacked, but Anai is the guy that's uh, probably going to come down with the sack if it's uh, anybody from the D-line. I think you're going to shift over to Tyler Huntley here, and I, I know am. you you seem to love Tyler Huntley given how much you've talked about him over the years, so I'm going to let you just take this away. Yes, thank you. So Tyler Huntley uh, was a, a redshirt freshman last year. Um, coming into Husky Stadium, I thought that he showed, I'll call it an adjective here, uh, some Darnoldian characteristics because Whoa. I've only seen two quarterbacks come into Husky Stadium in the last few years uh, since kind of this playoff era um, mm-hmm. of Husky football and just walk in and feel completely unfazed by what they were up against. Both freshmen. Yes, yeah, honestly. Sam Darnold um, walked into Husky Stadium. Uh, that team was undefeated and was just completely calm, cool, and collected despite throwing a couple picks in that game. Uh, Tyler Huntley, exact same thing last year, threw a pick kind of in the midway through part of that game, uh, stayed cool, th- you know, put up some some throws on the sideline that were, were gutsy throws, beat us when we had to, had 15 design runs, 21 carries total against a tough Husky defense. Uh, just a very tough kid, not the most gifted in terms of, um, you know, just, just absolutely carving you up in the passing game. Uh, but just, just a guy who Utah really leaned on last year to carry their offense and uh, was more than capable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, you hit hit on the head. I don't really have much else to add. He's just he's he's a pretty decent QB. He will put Utah um, probably in a spot to make this competitive at some point in the game. Um, he'll he'll get a first down with his legs here or there. Um, he kind of does it all. Um, he's not amazing by any means at mm-hmm. one single thing, but that you don't really have to be to be effective in in college football right now. So yep. Yep, with uh, with Huntley in the backfield there is Zach Moss, who's a guy, a thousand yard guy, a season ago, more than capable back. Um, just kind of he's Zach Moss just seems like one of those guys that just gets a thousand yards by by accumulation. I'm not really worried about him as an open field player, and I think in general Utah's offense lacks those guys. Um, I think uh, 
Darren Carrington and Raylan, uh, forget his last name, was one of their receivers from last year. Uh, both of those guys are gone. Those were those Raylan Singleton. That's who it was. Uh, nice. Those those were kind of the downfield weapons for them last year. And Singleton had a, a nice catch on the sideline over Byron Murphy last year for a touchdown. I, I just don't see them beating us down the field, and I don't think that that's the game they want to play. Yeah, it's uh, the, their offense has definitely been their weak point so far this season. It's definitely held them back. Uh, like I mentioned, like we mentioned previously, they only beat uh, Northern Illinois seventeen to six, or was it seven? Yeah, seventeen yeah. to six this week, and one of those was uh, one touchdown was a pick six near the end of that. So. Um, they, yeah, they've struggled offensively, but their defense is really what keeps them in ball games. So, uh, so it's it's kind of it's kind of similar to what we've seen so far mm-hmm. from the Huskies in some respects. Yeah, a little a little bit. Uh, I would say a lot less talent. I think that Utah would love yeah. to have any four of our receivers um, and th- sure. throw them into the mix. Uh, the one guy that they do have on offense that has returned from a mission, which is uh, something that you know, will see a couple of these types of players um, in the next two weeks with Utah and BYU coming up. Uh, with uh, Britton Covey coming back from a mission, this guy's very shifty, very, um, uh, you know, kind of a... Um, I, I don't I don't know what the comparison is. I wanted to say Tyreek Hill. That's a little too much. But just a guy that that is very shifty and, and elusive in the open field. Um, he's their leading receiver. He's probably forty years old. Um, Britton Covey, number eighteen, <laughs> a guy to watch and a guy that certainly the ESPN broadcast will uh, will tell you all about on uh, how his mission went and uh, how he's missed football and all those things. So Britton Covey, a name to remember uh, for Saturday. Also, people are a couple names to remember. Uh, this is not a normal uh, position to call out, but uh, both kicking specialists for Utah are pretty much as good as it gets with Mitch Wishnowski as their punter, the 2016 Ray Guy Award winner, best punter in, the, in college football, and Matt Gay, uh, their kicker, 2017 Lou Groza Award winner, which is the best kicker in college football. Uh, both are seniors, both are team captains, both will not be phased by. Um, the Huskies special teams at all. So um, they will, you know, Utah was very capable of controlling the uh, position battle, and you will probably see that with those two guys this weekend. Yep, Wisnowski walked into UW last year, uh, successfully kicked an onside kick, uh, had a 19-yard rush on 4th and 18, and then followed that up uh, immediately with an excessive celebration by spiking the ball. Uh, <laughs> so Wisnowski is, a, uh, is a, a tough son of a gun and a certainly a weapon um, in a lot of ways that Utah is uh, is ready to deploy at a moment's notice because you know a team like that kind of got to win on the margins a little bit and they've certainly figured out a way to do with that with uh, with their great special teams. Let's move on to the X's and O's side of things. Just kind of briefly touching about what it's going to look like for Utah. As I mentioned, they don't really have the personnel to to attack anyone downfield, especially this UW team. I don't think anyone wants any part of throwing at the Huskies outside the hashes. Because uh, that's when you get plays uh, that involve our defensive backs, involve our corners. Uh, so as Utah did last year at Husky Stadium, expect a short passing game. Expect a lot of throws at these linebackers. I think that that's the the area of the team uh, that you would feel most comfortable uh, attacking. It's kind of the middle of the field rather than the outside for for the Huskies. So expect a lot of that. Yeah, their their offense is all about kind of spacing and going through progressions as a quarterback and finding that op- open space, which you know honestly is not really 
that you know that's obvious stuff right now. <laughs> They're onto something. Forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, their offensive coordinator is Troy Taylor, who's the former Eastern Washington head coach, as well as the former Folsom High School head coach uh, for the one and only Jake Browning. So he, uh, this is the type of offense that Jake thrived in and set uh, touchdown records nationally mm-hmm. in California uh, in high school. It's going to be a spread passing attack. Uh, they will go up tempo at times, but like I mentioned, the offense is struggling so far. Um, the offensive line gave up six sacks in Northern Illinois this past weekend, so uh, I look for the Husky defense to get in the backfield and make the disruption early and often. Yeah, uh, I think with uh, with with Utah, what you're going to see. Well, first of all. With the Troy Taylor thing, I expect like at least fifteen mentions of that on the ESPN broadcast of picture, oh, yeah. pictures of Troy and Jake, Troy Taylor changing Jake Browning's diaper at some point. Like you, you will see just an <laughs> onslaught of of that narrative of of uh, Browning playing against his former coach and all that good stuff. Uh, a lot of a lot of the run game. Utah went twenty nine carries for a buck twenty eight against against Northern Illinois, um, or allowed that much. I'm sa- sorry, and then only mm. three point four yards per attempt uh, from Northern Illinois in that game. So a team that's very hard to move the ball against. So you know, I think this is a game that if UW can get to twenty four points, that I would feel very confident in their ability to win just because of, of Utah's. Uh, struggles on offense this season but also the just kind of lack of of game-breaking personnel for them so 24 might be your magic number uh any other thoughts on utah before we move on to kind of a more global scene here uh i just just protect the football don't shoot yourself in the foot like by all means you should win this game if you if you just execute and you know play to your strengths We're, we're a more talented team overall than than the Utes. so yeah, just get it, get it, get the job done in uh, in Salt Lake City. Yep, this is a, a game that it, it will be late in Salt Lake City. It'll be I think eight o'clock uh, for them. A game that's a blackout game. You know, <laughs> I don't know if the tailgate scene is is that hot in Salt Lake. However, uh, a game that will certainly be rowdy. And so offense early to kind of negate that will be important. Uh, you saw last year UW at. Uh, Arizona State, I think, in a similar type game, uh, just couldn't get it out of their own way early, and that kind of snowballed and made the rest of the game very difficult. So I think scores in the first quarter uh, will tell you a lot about kind of how much you can breathe the rest of the game. Um, something to keep an eye on. Let's move to back the pack. Uh, great week for the Pac-12. I mean, this usually we're talking about just sheer doom and misery and woe is us. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, the Pac-12 goes eight and two in non-conference. Uh, the two losses were from Arizona against Houston and UCLA against Oklahoma. Both schools looked like absolute corpses in that game. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the good stuff. Uh, and there was a lot of good for the Pac-12 this weekend. Yeah, we're going to start off with uh, this this past weekend's Pac-12 After Dark edition. Uh, that would be Arizona State over number 15, Michigan State, 16-13 to 13 on a last-second field goal. Um, and Keel Harry is a monster again, I going love, six. I would adopt Nikhil Harry as well. Yeah, yeah, throw him in there. <laughs> Let's get five in there. Oh, man. Um, six catches, 89 yards, and the go-ahead touchdown, which was a 27-yarder in the corner to tie the game. At 13 with eight minutes left uh this is following up a i believe he went for like 145 in their first game so um he's he has top 15 pick written all over him and i do not want anything to do with that guy when 
he comes to Husky Stadium on the 22nd. So big win for ASU over a quality non-conference ranked opponent. Uh, the next game was Colorado over Nebraska, which was 33-28 in Lincoln. Uh, this was Scott Frost's debut on top of kind of reigniting an old Big 8, Big 12, whatever you want to call it, rivalry between Colorado and Nebraska. Um, I don't know. Did you see the the play on Nebraska's quarterback, Adrian Martinez, that knocked him out? It kind of was a seemed like a dirty play by the Colorado defender, twisting his ankle a bit. Oh, Did you see that by chance? I didn't. I didn't see that. I heard that that Frost um, ha- wanted to to have that play submitted for review. He did. Uh, he, he did. Yeah. He submitted it. It's yet to be determined, if I'm not mistaken, whether or not that was dirty or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was. It was bad. It was, it was not good. It was after the play. It was in the pile, and yeah. the Colorado defender is pretty clearly going out of his way to, tris, to twist uh, Martinez's uh, ankle. That's so, unfortunate, and and especially given that Nebraska's quarterback that came in after Martinez looked uh, like he wanted to be a 1,000 miles away from Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> uh, <laughs> anywhere but in the pocket for, for that game, and certainly Colorado was able to benefit um, fun game though. I will say it was nice to see Colorado show up on uh, on somewhat of a national scene there. Yeah, and appreciate the uh, mid game text because uh, was not getting any service in Husky Stadium to follow that one. So um, moving on, we had uh, another solid win for Cal over BYU in Provo, twenty one to eighteen. The Cal defense looked really good in this one, holding BYU to only two hundred eighty seven total yards. Um, they also held uh, BYU quarterback Tanner Mangum to a I wrote an abysmal 22 for 41 night with 100 or day I should say with a, only 196 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. So it's nice to see Cal uh, representing the Pac-12 on the road, and also somewhat nice to see a upcoming opponent for UW struggle and know that we can take it to them in the same fashion that Cal did this weekend. There you go. Um, yeah, so we'll have a, a few common opponents. Uh, actually, we don't play Arizona this year, so it's just Cal uh, that ends up playing BYU. Uh, as we said, Utah got the win. Do you want to do like 10 seconds on why I think we settled in the same place, you and I, that Stanford beating USC was the, was what we wanted? I don't even know. <laughs> it, I don't even, like, It's I'm still up in the air about it. It's 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 complicated. My My thesis on this is that we want if, for UW to get back into the playoff. I don't think it's as easy as winning out because I think that there needs to be some quality wins along the way. If Stanford were to lose a home game, I think that that makes them worse than uh, USC. Who, if the USC makes it back to the Pac-12 championship, it will certainly because be because of some midseason run where they found you know JT Daniels caught his stride. So I just feel that. Because the Stanford game is before USC, we want Stanford to look better, and we don't even know if we'd play USC. So I just felt yeah. uh, that Stanford getting that win on the national stage was important uh, for keeping them as a very high-quality opponent when we will play them in early November. I, I think you're right. The tough thing about it is their run-up to the UW game after this upcoming UC Davis Brutal. joke of a matchup <laughs> is is just so tough. At Oregon, at Notre Dame, Utah at home, at ASU, WSU at home, and then at UW. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they somehow come to Seattle and are still undefeated, then wow, this is like all we could have asked for. You beat 
Stanford and you have your quality win that you can go to the committee at the end of the season if we're lucky enough to be in a situation like that and say, hey, like here's here's a win that we can like kind of put on our mantle and show that we should be in the CFB uh, playoffs. So yep. I don't think they can win all those, to be honest. I think they'll lose at least one of those. But um, they they looked pretty dang good against against USC this weekend. Um, Bryce Love returned with a with a 22-carry performance for 136 yards and a touchdown after underwhelming in week one. Um, and their Stanford's defense only allowed USC uh, to get inside of their own 33 times in this contest in which USC managed to miss a field goal, make a field goal, and throw an interception. So abysmal um, offense from USC once they got inside Stanford 30, but that just speaks volumes about the the quality of Stanford's defense that will be very tough to go up against later this year. Yeah, that Stanford defense looked like a buzzsaw for sure. Um, yeah, I, th- I think just real quick on that Stanford point, given the fact that they are playing so many games against those quality opponents in the next coming weeks, I would expect them to lose one, if not even two of those games. Um, And so losing a third against USC would be, would be a tough hit for them. So that's, that's where Mm -hmm. I landed on that. USC schedule is a little bit easier for that same stretch. Um, So the big tilts in the conference this week, obviously I think UW, Utah is the, the key one uh, for the conference. The most, uh, the two best teams playing each other at the same time or two of the best teams playing each other, I should say. Uh, the rest of the conference, you got some slump buster games. Uh, Arizona is playing Southern Utah. UCLA is playing Fresno State. Hopefully, both of those two teams can get off the schneid. USC goes at Texas in uh, what will certainly be a, a narrative game, if nothing else. If, if JT Daniels beats Texas uh, in in Austin, that'll help his you know his uh, prestige and his confidence going the rest of the way, uh, and that would certainly bury Texas to start to start the year as they do. Um, or if Texas wins, it could be some sort of a revival for that program. So interesting game there. ASU uh, following up their their big win against Michigan State. It would be very ASU for them to lose at San Diego State yeah. in this game. <laughs> yeah, we really want them to win this so we can get them as a ranked opponent uh, at Husky Stadium on the 22nd. Yes, yes. Uh, I think it, a game that they should win. Stanford had a little bit of trouble against San Diego State early, um, so I worry that, that ASU is in, in shape for a letdown this week, uh, but we shall see. The rest of the I conference, think, uh, go ahead. I think UCLA... Uh, could be in some trouble here, to be honest. Uh, Fresno State is a pretty good team. Um, they're actually a one-point favorite in the Rose Bowl. Uh, cool. This is a team led by Jeff Tedford, who went 10-4 and last season, with their only losses being to number one-ranked Alabama, number six-ranked UW, uh, a number 23-ranked Boise State team that they beat the following week in their conference title game, and yep. then they lost—I don't know how—to UNLV. So they had some pretty <laughs> no, one, no one knows how to lost. Lose to yeah, who knows? Runner Rebels, you know. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but those are some. Those three of those four losses are some quality losses right there. So uh, I would not blink on Fresno State one bit. They only lost by a touchdown to Minnesota this past week. So something to keep an eye on in LA. There we go. Good, uh, good, good information there. Fresno is not to be trifled with. Rest of the conference, I called it nap week. <laughs> Stanford's got a nap <laughs> against UC Davis. Boulder has yep. a big nap, a big post-Thanksgiving meal nap uh, against New Hampshire. Cal plays Idaho oh. State. Uh, Waz- yeah, Wazoo from Pocatello. Wazoo yep, plays uh, Iwu. Eastern Washington in a game that, you know, there will probably be 150 points in that game, uh, but 
Wazoo will probably come out on top. And then Arizona gets Southern Utah. So uh, it's five teams taking big old FBS or FCS naps heading into to conference play. Uh, nothing wrong with that. UW got a nap uh, last week. Anyways, let's talk about the, the, the college football party scene. Who are the big winners real quick uh, in, uh, in week two across the nation? There weren't many that there weren't many big games this past weekend, so this was kind of tough. So I might have some games here that you don't have, but I put down Iowa over Iowa State, thirteen to three in the Cyhawk Trophy. There we go. Uh, game. So uh, good on the Hawkeyes for winning that one, and then uh, Penn State rebounding uh, fifty-one to six over Pitt in the Keystone Classic at Heinz Field. This is after Penn State was forced to overtime against Appalachian State in Week One, so that was good to see from the Nittany Lions. I had uh, Clemson pulling out a, a tough win in in in, in uh, Kyle Field in Texas A and M. Uh, a game shouldn't have been that close, though. Shouldn't have been that close, but I do think um, this early in the season, winning a, an adverse game is ultimately good for a team. Sure. Um, so Clemson looked the part, not so much on defense, but. Uh, but was able to, to hang with the Texas A&M team that was, that was thrown all over. Big losers, Florida, losing to Kentucky for the first time, I think, in yeah. 20 years. Um, 31. 31 years, even worse. 31-game losing streak, 1986. Do you want to know some things that were occurring or happening in 1986? I, have I sure would. Okay, the nucle- nuclear reactor at Chernobyl exploded. Uh, Oprah Winfrey debuted, debuted her talk show. Mad cow disease was just coming on the scene, and the NES Nintendo Entertainment System was released by Nintendo. So there you have it. <laughs> Hell That's yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> that is incredible. Value add. The best, the best shooting game you could play back then was Duck Hunt, and oh, yeah. it, there are now probably fourteen hundred different games you could play on your iPhone uh, where you could shoot stuff. That is incredible. Do you have a gun as a controller? Yes. That's thing. Yes. That's that's super true. And doesn't make weird clicky sounds. Uh, yeah. That sounds like it's gonna explode. Uh, Florida, <laughs> Florida losing to Kentucky was certainly not good, given the historical precedent. That team was not really going anywhere, anyways. Uh, but not a good look. Nebraska, obviously, there might be a little bit of an asterisk there, as we just mentioned. Uh, but losing the Scott Frost debut to a Colorado team um, that was a four-point underdog in that game, not a good look as well. Any other losers that I missed? I mean, we touched on already, but Michigan State, that was that was poor losing against, well, I mean, who knows? Pat 12 vector darts. Yeah. So I guess you, know, you never know what's going to happen, some, but some it's a ranked opponent right losing. Yeah. yeah, it's a ranked opponent losing, so. Yeah. Uh, if uh, if you had to hand your Heisman to, to someone this weekend, you're in New York City, who's it going to? I think we're still handing it to Will Greer, who went 21 for 26, which is crazy efficient for mm. 332 yards four touchdowns did have an int against, this is against, against uh the gwins right youngstown state yeah do you and i assume you know the coach for youngstown state uh mr sweater vest himself no not what? any not anymore oh no but it is a noteworthy noteworthy uh coach here bo polini angry bo polini oh formerly my. of nebraska yeah so uh so yeah, they they beat the Penguins, Youngtown State. Uh, Greer now has the third best QBR in in the country, as well as the second most touchdowns thrown. Um, I think one B here would be Jonathan Taylor, who set a career high in rushing yards at 253 yards versus New Mexico and and three touchdowns. He now leads the F- FBS in rushing with 398 yards. So he is well on his way to a crazy season on the ground for Wisconsin. 
Yep, I think uh, I think you're dead on there. Greer is off this week uh, due to a hurricane um, that is keeping uh-huh. keeping him from playing uh, at NC State. Everyone in the Carolinas and down there stay safe. Uh, Wisconsin, in the meantime, is playing against BYU at home. So should be another game for okay. Taylor to kind of rack up a little bit more stats. Uh, quickly, games of the week, some some good ones. Uh, LSU, who's still fresh off of beating Miami in week one, is going to Auburn. We'll find a little bit more about Auburn uh, than we certainly did last week when they were playing uh, some, you know, poor sisters of the of the, you the know, blind. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, we won Auburn, obviously, in this one. Yes, um, big Auburn fans. We won fans. Auburn every game this year. Actually. In the Battle of the Tigers, we want those specific Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the orange ones, not the yellow ones. Uh, Boise State uh, has just been on fire. Brett Rippon looks like a sneaky, sneaky Heisman candidate if he can keep oh, this up. Oh, you heard it here first. Uh, Brett Rippon going into uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma to play Oklahoma State in a game that will certainly be interesting. Uh, Boise State won their first game against Troy uh, and then whooped on someone last week. I can't even remember. Um, but they go to Stillwater for that game against a ranked opponent. Should be interesting. Bama. Only, uh, po- pokes are only a two. The pokes are only a two point five uh, point favorite here. So uh, it's pretty much a pick 'em between Boise State and Oklahoma State. I think if you beat Mike Gundy in Oklahoma, you get to take his mullet back to your home stadium mm-hmm. with you and yeah, attach it to a flag. <laughs> that's that's what I think. Uh, <laughs> next game on my list was. Alabama going to Ole Miss. Uh, nothing special okay. about Ole Miss, but this is the first difficult game that Alabama has has really had to play, I think. So could be interesting in a game that will certainly be well attended and certainly be a little hostile for, for Tua Tagovailoa. Tua, you got the last name. Tagovailoa. Unbelievable. You're a phenomenal man. Uh, and Jalen Hurts <laughs> coming into their first real difficult game of the season. Uh, good chance to jump Bama, I think. Uh, so keep an eye on that. And then Ohio State at TCU. Certainly dog fans are rooting for the other team in purple in that game uh, that would put a blemish on the Ohio State resume. Sure. Um, so keep an eye on that one. Don't know about the likelihood of that game, but uh, anything is possible when you play the Ohio Frogs. State is a, yeah, and Ohio State is a 13-point favorite, just to add that in. So There you go. We'll uh, see. Yeah, that's a bit of a long shot we're saying. Uh, yeah, yeah. Staying on the national scene right before we get to our favorite last two segments of this, um, mm-hmm. Our man Mark Jones, uh, more has come out about Mark Jones. Uh, the network that he works for, ESPN, uh, has come out and basically said we are a little embarrassed of, of him, a little confused as to why he is, has taken such a harsh stance against uh, the University of Washington, it's called it childish behavior, um, in an email to Jen Cohen, uh, UW athletic director. Mark Jones um, will not be calling any UW games this season. He will be calling some games, though. So if it were up to us, we would send Mark Jones far, far away uh, to go to go to call an even even worse game than having to call a Washington game, in his opinion. Uh, so where would you banish Mark Jones to this week? Well, he's an ESPN employee. And if you ever have been on Watch ESPN or ESPN3 online, there are a lot of games out there. <laughs> so I went deep in the ESPN3 scheduling this weekend, and I uh, p- picked Abilene Christian at Houston Baptist. Uh, I looked up Houston Baptist Stadium. It's a 5,000-seat stadium, um, you know, in that Houston heat. 
So uh, I hope he will be boiling in the press box at Houston Baptist this weekend. What do you have? Uh, I was a little easier on him, and he's actually going to see a, a real college football game. Uh, but I sent oh. him. I sent him to Reno, Nevada, uh, to watch okay. to watch Nevada. We didn't even talk about the Beavers, damn. Uh, to watch Reno <laughs> host uh, our our second favorite college football team, uh, the Oregon State Beavers, uh, in a game that would be a great one for Oregon State, but a game that is about as uh, irrelevant as irrelevant games go in college football. Um, so Mark Jones. Exactly. So Mark Jones. Um, so Mark, uh, you pick between those two. It's up to you. Let's uh, let's end this one. Lots of lots of value in here, but it's time to unwind a little bit. Let's uh, let's talk about our great cats of the week. Great cats are bad. Um, what do you got? I've I've I have a few. Okay. Well, Jones is going to be on this every week for me for the rest of the season. So yes. he's one. Um, Number two, Liberty's punter, who was ejected for targeting, uh, who just launched headfirst into the returner. It was probably the most blatant uh, targeting call I've ever seen. I, so uh, I don't do know that? if yeah, I, I did have that, so I bolded that one. <laughs> um, I don't know if you ever watched Dragon Ball Z. I was I wasn't a big Dragon Ball Z guy. All right, give me give me. But 10 I might seconds. know the characters. So. When when Gohan was a was a small child, um, and and okay. the Saiyans first came, and Raditz shows up and says, "Goku, I'm gonna kick your ass in 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 a, in a day if you don't, or in like a week, I'll give you a week to train, uh, and then let's fight." Gohan ends up saving the day because Gohan's only move back then as like a three year old was just this crazy like flying headbutt, um, and that <laughs> that is what ultimately led to Raditz's demise and for for them to to save the Earth the first time. That was the move. It was the the kicker just or the punter just launched himself like three yards in the air. Um, just an absolutely stupid play. I hope that it, he yeah. has un- understood that um, for his own safety. I mean, he easily could have broke his neck on that play. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, just just all out dumb for for the Liberty punter. Yeah, that was an easy one this week. Um, the other ones I have are Arizona just completely blowing it against Houston. It was thirty-one to zero at halftime, God. and it honestly could have been at it could have been thirty-eight to zero because Houston dropped a wide open touchdown catch. Uh, that was just bad all around from them. Um, and then my last one are just all the people calling for Jake Hayner to start over uh, Jake Browning this weekend because that is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, sounds like uh, if it was up to, to Jim Stanton, the zone would be a great cat. Yeah, yeah. The zone has never been something that my dad has been a fan of, nor nor I've been a fan of. So Yeah, but the zone for is a different a, pod. Yeah, exactly. The zone's just a great way to lose a, lose your third quarter um, as you're waiting in line for, for something very yeah. highly priced. Uh, my great cat of the week that I've settled on was the touchback rule um, in the offensive sense where if you extend the ball and it leaves your hand and it goes through the side of the end zone that gives it to the other team uh, on on your 20-yard line. It doesn't make any sense. It's like this Yu-Gi-Oh trap card of, a, of, a, <laughs> of an element uh, in college football where wow. it's like, oh, he almost had a touchdown, but wait. Um, and there's just no rhyme or reason to that. Like there just there isn't that big of a loophole in sports. I feel like that 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 you go from all the way from a being about to score to just something so trivial gives it to the other team for no reason. And I I feel like the best way to do it is just to bring the ball back on the ten, if at all, maybe the five. Uh, 
on the next play instead of giving it completely to the other team. But the reason I bring this up is because Texas A&M was driving, I think about to tie against Clemson and then a player extended the ball uh, and it went through the end zone and went back uh, to Clemson to ice the game. It just doesn't make any sense and it needs to go. So the touchback rule uh, is my great cat of the week. I'm, I'm just impressed that we've worked in Yu-Gi-Oh and Dragon Ball Z into the same segment. That's outstanding work. You let me keep going, man. Uh, Yu Yu Hakusho could get in there. Zatch Bell, big, big, uh, <laughs> big closet anime fan. Uh, yeah. Myself, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Something new every day. Value add. Um, let's uh, let's talk about our OKGs of the week. I've got I've got lots. First one, uh, Jesse Sosby, by way of starting, um, and mm-hmm. Chris Peterson answering questions about him um, in the in the subsequent press conference. We find out that Jesse Sosby, who already rocks a mullet, Jesse Sosby's nickname is Boomer. Um, so okay. he's in Seattle, Washington, with a mullet uh, with the nickname of Boomer, um, a guy who is. Certainly misplaced and will end up owning a ranch in Montana someday, uh, but good for Jesse Sosby. Perfect. That's a that's a very fitting nickname for that guy. Yeah. Uh, who's who's your OKG of the week? I I mean I have five. So do you, do you just want me to list them off real quick? We could go quid pro quo. I mean, see see what you got. Maybe I got them too. Okay, I got uh, wide receiver group. Obviously, touched on that quite a bit. Yes. Um, Jake Hayner, seven for seven, one ten, and a touchdown. Uh, Pretty pretty awesome. Was that his debut technically? That or? was his first first game redshirt last year. Okay, perfect. Yeah, awesome stuff from him. Uh, I thought the UW defense in the second half was pretty impressive. Um, Notre Dame or Notre Dame ND North Dakota <laughs> Same went thing. three and out six of their eight drives in the second half. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, ASU for winning on Pac-12 after dark against Michigan State. And then uh, the last one here I just added in before we recorded this, but I read that Georgia State's head coach, Sean Elliott, tore his bicep while aggressively fist-bumping a touchdown versus NC State this weekend. So, I mean, that's that's a shoe-in for OKG of the week. We just love that type of intensity and passion and enthusiasm for the game. So, um, Sean Elliott... Georgia State head coach tearing his bicep makes it into OKG of the week for me. I can't remember if it was Georgia State's basketball coach. Um, I think it was Ron Hunter. Yeah, that that, yep. that tore his Achilles as or like his ACL as he was celebrating the team's <laughs> first round win in the NCAA tournament. So uh, whatever whatever the Georgia State athletic department or athletic director, uh, the questions that person is asking in their interviews <laughs> to to find these just voracious celebrators um, is is great. Keep it up. Can't even imagine what their tennis coach is like. Um, so those those are great. Uh, Miles Gaskin getting over fifty touchdowns, great for Miles. Uh, Will mm-hmm. Disley, John Ross, Dante Pettis all scored oh, touchdowns yeah. in their NFL debuts. Yeah. Uh, well, John John Ross was effectively his debut last season was the lost season. Uh, Will Disley after his touchdown after the game says, "I think that's how tight ends should be. It's not hard. They throw to you, you catch it, and then you go do some cool things." <laughs> Um, so way to go, Will, um, who has, has really become something after being a a reserve defensive lineman for UW just a couple seasons ago. Last one, this is, this is just out there, but I I had to include it. Jordan Reffitt 
former UW lineman? Oh, you, yeah. You know mm-hmm. the name? All right, so Jordan yeah. Reffitt is a great Twitter follow for Husky fans and for Seahawks wow, fans. okay. Um, hit him up. He played a little bit, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, was a very productive lineman for, for UW back in the dark, dark ages when the team wasn't winning very much um, or even sniffing winnings. But anyways, Jordan Reffitt uh, will tweet out some great tidbits, uh, including that he doesn't think Ben Burkirvan has uh, enough of a posterior if, if you catch my drift, uh, mm-hmm. doesn't think that the linebackers get deep enough in coverage uh, and just absolutely screaming about ESPN's West Coast biased at uh, 11.59 p.m. Saturday East night. East Coast bias. Uh, yes. Yeah, that, that's that's his his time, not mine. Um, mm. So just just our kind of guy of, of uh, constantly shaking his fist at the ESPN sun um and uh tweeting about ben burkirvin's ass <laughs> so this is uh, <laughs> a great follow um i to... will be following him right after this there we go um that'll do it for us uh, another great episode of our kind of pod exciting week this week against a real good utah team we will certainly get know our huskies a lot better uh as a result of saturday stanton thanks as always for uh for, for staying on yeah this was fun let's go get it in salt lake city go dogs go dogs